if I'm only going to give one piece of advice, yeah. I would say every action you take is like a vote for the type of person that you want to become. This is Entrepreneurs the Playbook, where each week I bring you some of the greatest athletes, celebrities, and entrepreneurs to talk about their personal and professional playbook to success. This is Dave Meltzer with Entrepreneur the Playbook, and I have flown all day just for this interview. This is a topic that everyone needs to tune in for. I have the authority, the guy that I learn about habits from, James Clear, hey. Atomic Habits. My head of my media read that book, and all of a sudden, I got a flurry of text messages and emails <laughs> and comments. He goes, you gotta meet James Clear, because for years, I've been teaching the importance of habit. In fact, people ask me what's the most important habit. I said, create a habit machine. Mm. And that's what you did with the book, right? You created a habit machine so that, hey, I want to quit smoking, boom, put it through your habit machine. I want to get better at this, put it through your habit machine. I'm going to start off where I like to go with habits is that can you explain to me your philosophy of how a habit is formed from the conscious practice, mm. right? The repetitive nature of consistency into the subconscious uh, whichever way that means to you. Sure. And then even if you believe like I do into a quantum memory of the unconscious competency that you've actually inherited habits that you know maybe from four generations as doctors mm. proclaim from great grandparents, grandparents, or even billions of lifetimes like some of the Buddhas that I've met. Uh, can you explain that side of the habit so that people can get a real understanding of how habits work? Sure, so um, let me walk through it using slightly different terms. Yeah, but the, so I would say, the process of change usually starts with self-awareness. Um, now you can change without being aware of it, but you're not usually in control. Um, it means that the environment shifted or the circumstance or situation changed and you changed in response, but you weren't really influencing it in any meaningful way. So starts with self-awareness. Then the next step, which you already mentioned, is kind of, we could call it different things, call it deliberate practice, call it routine or you know whatever, but you're consciously doing the behavior. So you're putting an effort to practice it. Is there, just to stop you there, is there any tricks you know, that you have found as far as that part of it? Because you know, people don't get started, they yeah. have too high of goals. I've heard a ton of different ones, but sure. could you share with us you know, some tips on that part of it? So I think there are a couple, maybe two, let's pick two strategies that you could use right away. So the first one is a lot of people feel like they lack motivation when what they really lack is clarity. Um, and what I mean by that is they think I need more willpower, I need more motivation, I need more persistence, I need more drive. And certainly, those are all important qualities in life, but the truth is they, uh, we often make statements about how we wanna change in very vague ways. We say something like, this time it'll be different, I'll just eat better, I'm gonna try harder, uh, whatever. And instead, if we have clarity, and you could use, uh, there are two strategies in the book that I talk about for this. One is implementation intentions. So it is a intention to implement a particular behavior. So the simplest way to do this is you fill out a sentence that says exactly when and where the behavior will occur. So I will go to the gym on Monday at 5 p.m. at this address, or I will journal at this coffee shop at you know, 6 a.m., blah, blah, blah. And the more clear that plan is, the more likely you are to follow through. And there's a bunch of research studies that show that. People are more likely to get their flu shot, quit smoking, recycle, exercise, basically any kind of habit you can think of. So that's the first strategy. Uh, so first, get clear about when it's gonna happen. Second strategy is what I call the two-minute rule. And this is basically just about scaling your habit down. The reason a lot of people struggle with that conscious activity is that they pick things that are too big in the beginning. Right, so, I call lower, lower the bar. Yeah, right. Yeah. So the two-minute rule helps you lower the bar, 
by saying a new habit should t is something that should take less than two minutes to do. So you take whatever habit you're trying to build, whatever ambitious plan you have, read 40 books a year becomes read one page, or do yoga four days a week becomes take out my yoga mat. And sometimes people resist this a little bit when I say it first, because they think, all right, well, I know the real goal isn't just to like take my yoga mat out. I know I actually want to do the workout. And if I know that, and it's like this mental trick, and I know it's a trick, why would I fall for it? And so my suggestion, if you feel that way, is force yourself for the first few days to only do it for two minutes. Smart. So I have a, I have a so I, I've done that, I, you know, when I started working out again, was just put my shoes on. Yeah. And I ended up at the gym doing 15 minutes, and I kind of broke that rule, mm. but it did work because it got me started. Sure. The other interesting thing about clarity is that I believe, like you, that it's not a motivation or an inspiration. It's clearing the interference mm. from what we're already connected to. Right? So this is a, a there, there are two ways to think about getting something done. Like if we got, we have this water bottle in front of us right now. If, I, if you're pushing on one side and I'm pushing on another, if I wanna move it, I have two options. I could either overpower you, like push harder, and that's the typical approach to behavior change. Try harder, amp up your willpower, take action, take massive action, be more ambitious, whatever. It could work, I could move the water bottle, but it increases the tension in the system. Uh, the other option is you remove the obstacle, you take your hand away, and it slides across naturally, right? And so a lot of the time, I would say behavior change in life, you could kind of equate it to, imagine you have like a, a hose with a bend in it. If you wanna get more water through the hose, then you have two options, you either crank up the valve and force more water through, or you just remove the bend and let it flow through naturally. And I think removing those frictions, removing those barriers, removing those challenges, the obstacles, the things you're referencing, the stuff that, remove the friction that's already there and have it often happen naturally. And the two minute rule is interesting to me because I, help executives and coach, you know, I believe two minutes a day is worth more than two hours on a Saturday. So even if you would uh, not increase to four, 40 mm -hmm. books a year, but if you would read one page a day for every single day, seven days a week, that the benefit would be exponential. Yeah, you'd be surprised how fast it adds up. And, and what I believe is that just one day of breaking that continuum has a zeroing effect. So I, I look at it as an exponential ratio of X to the first, second, third, as the days go by, yep. and then you get X to the zero, which is a one, mm -hmm. right? And now you, you've plateaued to there. Mm -hmm. And wh why does that occur? Well, so that's uh, similar to Charlie Munger has that phrase where he says, the first rule of compounding is never interrupt it unnecessarily. And the same thing is true for if you have habits. If you believe that your habits compound over time, then any day that you miss, any day you throw up a zero, um, you're interrupting the compounding of that process. Um, and do you believe that? Yeah, so I think, uh, so I like to, I have a, a little graph in the book and, yeah. and things I talk about a lot about how, uh, imagine if you got 1% better each day for 365 days, 1.01 to the 365th power. You end up 37 times better by the time you get to the end of the year. Or if you get 1% worse, you drive yourself almost all the way down to zero. Now, that graph is basically explaining like compound interest, right? Real life is not exactly like compound interest, but man, it feels like that a lot of the time. You know, like on day one or day three or day 10, what is the difference between getting 1% better or 1% worse? A lot of the time, it doesn't feel like a whole lot. Like the difference between eating a burger and fries for lunch today versus eating a salad kind of feels insignificant. You know, your body looks the same in the mirror at the end of the night, the scale doesn't really change. It's only two or five or 10 years later that you turn around and you're like, oh wow, those daily choices really do compound and add up. So 
uh, in that way, I like to refer to habits as the compound interest of self-improvement. Same way that money multiplies through compound interest, the effects of your habits multiply. Absolutely, challenging question. One of the biggest challenges that I have in helping people and to motivate them to understand and bring clarity to this issue is that without experience, it's difficult to explain the compound. It, mm. So if I'm young, you know, it's, it's easy through my compound interest of failures and successes, lessons and mistakes, whatever we call it. At 51, I find it so much easier to understand the acceleration and growth that occurs from compounding things. Yeah. And I don't know how I could have or I can help a 20-year-old and really explain how, you know, the effect of that, good and bad, Right, you, you know, weight-wise, when you're 30 and your dad says, oh, you, you're gonna gain weight when you get older, and you're right. like, there's not a chance, I can't gain a pound, <laughs> right? But then compound, yeah. you know, burgers take over. H how, do you, how would you suggest for younger people with less experience that haven't, you know, it's like having a baby, you haven't had one yourself, right. it's hard to describe how. I, I find that compounding is difficult to describe to people as well. well you know, there are some experiences in life that have to be lived to be understood fully. Uh, not everything is like that, but some things do, and that's that's one thing that's challenging. I think about, there's a Naval Ravikant investor, he's got a quote where he says something to the effect of, um, good decisions come from experience, and uh, experience comes from bad decisions. So <laughs> basically, that. you like, you gotta kinda like try and fail, and then you learn, and that's, that's how it happens. It's all about lessons. Um, so part of that, I think, is unavoidable. That's just how it goes. Nobody is going to make perfect decisions throughout life, and hopefully, um, you know, an unexamined failure only remains a failure. An examined failure can become an a success. So hopefully you're at least learning when you make the bad choices. But I do think there are some shortcuts. Uh, the biggest one is probably reading. Um, it doesn't have to be reading books. You could also... Um, talk to mentors, talk to people who are just a little bit ahead of you. I actually find talking to people who are one to three years ahead of where you're at is often more useful than talking to a mentor who's like 25 years ahead. Because by the time that person was at your stage, things change a lot in 25 years, like they were dealing with totally different circumstances. But the person who's three years ahead of you, they probably just solved those problems. So, so that can be really helpful. Um, so I would say the two most effective ways that I've found to shortcut that in whatever ways that you can are reading books, and organizing events with people who are slightly ahead of you. So I, for example, I, I like to host a retreat with another, I don't know, five to 10 authors. I try to do that once a year at least, um, so that everybody can kind of help each other because they're all kind of going through things around the same time. Oh, that's awesome. Now, moving from that conscious realm, we're gonna go, we had the two, two different things to yep. do. Now we move to your understanding of the subconscious habit. So you start with self-awareness. Uh, then you, once you're aware of what you wanna change, you start to practice it consciously. At first, uh, it requires effort and attention and energy, and it's difficult. But with each additional practice round, you gain fluency, and uh, you gain effectiveness, and you start to automate more. And eventually, you cross this invisible threshold where the behavior becomes as automatic as it could be. So um, scientists refer to these as automaticity or learning curves, and I have one in the book, but you can actually see it, it starts out and you, the more you repeat it, you start to learn fairly steeply, and then after you've done it, say, 50 or 100 or 1,000 times, it starts to flatten out a little bit, and it's about as automatic as it could be. Um, and in that circumstance, once something is automated, basically your brain is running like an automatic script. Whenever it sees a context that is appropriate, it just plays that habit uh, on autopilot. So for example, when you first go into your living room and you sit down to watch TV, 
uh, you might think carefully about, oh, where's the remote? And like, oh, I need to turn on Netflix, whatever. But eventually, like being in your living room at 7 p.m., that overall context gets tied to the habit. You don't have to think about anything. You just, when you walk into the living room at 7 p.m., you just, you just like turn on Netflix and it's just kind of happening automatically. Um, so what I'm really getting at here is it's um, behaviors become automatic when that pattern matching of the context is so deeply tied to the behavior that you just like play it quickly. You're, you're just, um, yeah, you're not even really thinking about it consciously. And on that uh, respect, do you, do you think it takes 21 days or 30 days or is there a certain amount of days or just uh, you know individual biochemistry that creates the neural pathway or so it definitely depends uh, and this this makes sense uh, because you would be like oh well you know obviously it wouldn't take as long to build like a very small easy habit as maybe something more difficult and that's what there's one research study that showed that on average it was about 66 days but on the low end easy habits like drinking a glass of water at lunch that was just a few weeks and then on the high end something more difficult like going for a run after work in the evening every day that might take seven or eight months. So I, I don't think even 66 days doesn't tell you a whole lot, but I think the honest answer to how long does it take to build a habit is forever, because if you stop doing it, it's no longer a habit, right? And so what you're really looking to do is to look at habits not as a finish line to be crossed, but as a lifestyle to be lived, right? Like what is a new normal? What is a sustainable change? What is a non-threatening change that you can integrate into your daily life? Yeah, I picture it as that diet photo where they have the normally the before and after. Mm. I've substituted before and forever. Yeah, right. D just to get I've heard into, something similar like it's there is mindset. no before and after. There's only before and during. Right. Like <laughs> right. You're you're just get, if, get yeah. You're always in the process of building your habit. So, before we get to the unconscious side of what maybe genetically we were born with or mm. inherited or whatever, sure. The energetic side. There's one habit that I feel changes the entire face of the earth and. The habit involves understanding and having awareness to the ego, having clarity to the ego. But I believe that we have a frequency, a higher frequency, that we sit into a balanced state, and you could say, maybe I find my center. And those people that are able to know where their center is in a place of peace or forgiveness or love or happiness, mm. even the greatest, most wise people I've met still pull themselves off of trajectory and accelerate into the wrong direction because of the need to be right, fearful, inferior, superior, et cetera, whatever your beliefs are. I was are. gonna say, tell me what that feels like because yeah. I don't feel like I'm there. So. And, yeah, and, and so I, this is a major thing, a major habit that I'm trying to teach is to people to go back to center. I call this, when you're outside in the ego-based consciousness, you're on fire, right? Your body, soul, and mind are on fire. So I say stop, drop, and then roll back into center. That's what my mom taught me when I'm on fire. Sure. I'm going to have some practical advice from you. What do you think I could do or someone that like me could do to fight what I think's the biggest challenge, which is that ego side of me, mm. to say, okay, I'm a, I'm a, cause sometimes I'm in the mix and you might feel this with habits, right? You're actually doing and breaking the habit and while you're doing it, you're thinking like, what am I doing? You shouldn't be doing what? this. I shouldn't be doing this, you know what I mean? <laughs> you know, like live, whether it's tobacco or whatever sure. it is, right? Yeah. I, I do that all the time. Like I am so mad at my wife, yeah. and I'm saying things, and in my head, it's almost like I'm a psychotic because I'm like, "Are you an idiot? Yeah. Like what? Are, what are you saying? Stop! Stop!" Yeah. How how can we incorporate a habit into something that 
substantially charged with emotion? It's a great question. Um, so one thing I've noticed as I've kind of studied habits a little bit more is you can sort of divide them into different buckets. So you've got some habits that I would call like habits of action, like doing a push-up or eating a cookie. Um, but then we've got a different category, which we could call like habits of thought, like ruminating, overthinking, worry, uh, <laughs> anger, you know, things like that. And habits of thought tend to be much more emotional and they're uh, so rapid. I mean, how do you even identify when you're about to have a thought? Like you can't even, it's, it's so granular <laughs> that you like, can't even get in there. Yeah. Um, and so for that reason, they're, I think they're more difficult to change than habits of action are. Uh, so that's the first thing is like, I think we're talking about something that's very challenging to do. However, it does happen sometimes. And what I notice is that when it happens, it tends to be when people reframe or learn a new narrative. So here's an example. Um, you wake up in the morning and you go into your kitchen and you see uh, a loaf of bread and you're like, oh, I should make some toast. So that's a thought that you have, right? It happens right away. You see the loaf of bread and you're like, oh, I'll make toast. So you go ahead and do that. Then let's say a couple weeks later, you read a book that convinces you that carbs are the devil and grain is bad for you <laughs> and whatever. Well, now you walk downstairs in the morning and you see the same loaf of bread, but suddenly the narrative in your mind has changed. That thought arises, but instead of the thought thinking I should make toast, you think, oh, it's bad for me. I should throw that out. Right, it's kryptonite. <laughs> so, right. Um, and so the question is, how can you get more of those mindset shifts uh, in whatever the area is that we're, that we're trying to, to get to. So I've seen it happen sometimes. I just gave an example of like you read a diet book, maybe that would do it for mm -hmm. that particular example. So reading could possibly do it. Another one that uh, people I've seen do is when they take on a very strong new identity. So for example, let's say someone is not religious and then they join a religion where they're not allowed to eat meat or not allowed to eat pork or something. Well, now suddenly they identify as I'm a person who doesn't eat meat, right? And so they walk into maybe the same restaurant they've always gone into and they used to order a pork sandwich, but now they're like, oh, I don't want that at all. So sometimes a really strong identity shift can, can do it, can drive this kind of like a change in your habits of thought. Um, and so that's the, those are the only two ways I've seen it so far. But the, the third and final thing I'll add is um, I had this little shift for me when I thought about, so I'm, I'm not good at practicing meditation. I've done it a little bit, but I've never stuck to it for say, like I've never done it for like a full year, for example. You should lower the um, bar and try it. I know, two right? Dude, just do it for, that's what I keep telling myself, just do it for like 60 I seconds. I can help you, James, don't right. worry, you'll be fine. <laughs> so, um, but I had this, this shift, this mindset shift when I realized um, I used to think okay, return to your breath, and then like when your thoughts stray, like, oh, okay, you gotta bring it back to your breath or whatever. And any time that my thought would stray, I thought, oh, I'm doing it wrong, or like I'm failing at meditation. But instead, the mindset shift is, no, actually, that is meditation, is the practice of bringing it back. It's when it strays, and then you bring it back, that's like completing a whole rep. Imagine you're doing like a bicep curl. So yes. the thought straying is just you letting your arm down. That's only half of it. And then like bringing it back is curling your arm back up. And you actually need both to perform the action. And so um, the point that I'm getting to here is let's say that you're in another conversation with your wife and you are in your head and you're realizing I shouldn't be acting this way. I appreciate you calling it a conversation. That's, yeah, she right? doesn't phrase it that way. <laughs> <laughs> that's only half of it, right? Like noticing it is the first half that's letting your arm down. Bringing it back to center is the other half of the rep. Um, and I don't know if that's gonna solve it, but my point is just that it gives you a slightly different way to look. And a habit is a muscle. You can strengthen it and strengthen it and strengthen it the same way. Moving to the last part, which is, you know, just like a muscle, some people are just born with more speed, more strength, more endurance, mm. right? It's a genetic thing yep. that everyone in their mind is like, yeah, no problem. I, 
I sure. get how I'm born. Some people look are at six my foot eight, some people are five foot eight. I look eight, like yeah. my grandpa, right? Yeah, right. And, you know, sure. <laughs> that's, I get that. But I believe that habits are the same way because mm. I really got to know both my grand, all four of my grandparents, but especially my grandfathers. And I carry so much of their energy, their frequency, their habits. Mm-hmm. Um, do you, number one, believe that habits are inherited or part of your DNA? Or, and two, what do we do? Because those seem to be the strongest habits, which, for example, alcoholism would be the most classic example, yeah, right? Sure. It just, historically, you can see it goes from generation to generation. Right. Um, you know, how, how, number one, do you, do you believe that? And then two, how can we counteract the unconscious competency, the DNA, the inherent habits that we're born with? Yep, okay, so I would divide it slightly differently, but mm-hmm. I would say, so there, I think there's a distinction between instinct and habit. So that's, that's the, my first distinction. Instinct um, are things that you, they're behaviors that you inherit. So, uh, for example, someone throws a ball at your face and you, your hand goes up to block it. That's just instinct, that's not a habit. You might do it every time, but that doesn't make it a habit. Uh, it's an instinctual response. Um, a habit, however, is um, more learned, but I get what you're saying, and I think, so I have a, a chapter in the book, chapter 18 is about, uh, it's called The Truth About Talent, and it's about how genes uh, and our natural inclinations influence our habits and behaviors. And the way that I would define this is that no habit happens outside of a context. So it, it's, you live your entire life in an environment, in a context, right? And so the context influences the habits that you perform, but so do the genes that you bring into that context. And so there's like a, this handshake, this relationship between the two. Nice. Um, and so some people walk into a bar context um, and they may not be genetically predisposed to be an alcoholic. And so being in that context doesn't lead to very much habit formation of drinking. Someone else walks into the same context, but they have a totally different set of genes or alcoholism in their past or whatever, um, or in their family history, and they may be much more predisposed to that. And this is where I think it gets interesting, which is it's not just with addictive behaviors, like things that we normally talk about. It also, I think, and the, the research is kind of on the cusp here, it's like kind of blossoming, it's, it's new. Um, you could maybe say it's true for all habits. So for example, um, the most robust measure of personality is called the big five and it maps personality onto five different spectrums. So the one that most people are familiar with is introversion on one side, extroversion on the other. But there are others too, like conscientiousness or agreeableness. Agreeableness is a spectrum that people who are high in agreeableness, they tend to be warm and kind and considerate. And for all of these spectrums, uh, they've been linked to your genetic code. Uh, Scientists have found there's a genetic underpinning for that. So for example, people who are high in agreeableness, they have higher levels of oxytocin, uh, natural levels of oxytocin. If someone's high in agreeableness, you can imagine they might be better at building habits like writing thank you notes uh, (laughs) or hosting parties for friends, uh, things like that. And uh, I think that's true probably for many behaviors. There's always this relationship between uh, external context and internal uh, genes, but yeah, the, the genes that you have influence how you're gonna behave or show up in those contexts. That's awesome. And obviously this book goes into great detail about a lot of the things. The last thing I wanna ask, because habits, like I said, if I was gonna say the greatest habit that I would want is to have a habit machine, mm. You know, wh- what piece of advice would you give just to anyone out there after doing so much research and writing the book? Look, if you want to create a habit, do blank to start. I think the way, well, so I already covered the yeah. two minute rule. Yeah. I think that's a very effective way to just get started. Yeah. But if I'm only gonna give one piece of advice, yeah. I would say 
every action you take is like a vote for the type of person that you want to become. And so what we're really talking about is linking your habits, not with your outcomes, but with your identity. And often when we talk about habits, we talk about the outcomes they can provide. They can help you get six pack abs, they can help you earn more money, they can help you reduce stress. And that's true, they can help you do all those things. But the real reason that habits matter is that they provide evidence of the type of person that you believe that you are. So for example, if you study biology on Tuesday night for 20 minutes, doing it once might not change how you see yourself, but if you do it every week, at some point you're casting votes for, I am studious. If you do one push-up, no, that doesn't transform your body, but each time you do it, you cast a vote for, I'm the type of person who doesn't miss workouts. And the more that you build these habits, the more you build up evidence of being that kind of person. And ultimately, that's the real reason habits matter, is they can reshape your sense of self. And so if I only give one piece of advice, I would say, start by thinking about the type of person you wanna become and which habits cast votes for being that kind of person. I love that. I always say put faith in what you want, right? Vote for what you want in your life. And that's why surrounding yourself with the right people, the right ideas, the right podcasts, the right books are so important because when you do that, you're voting for what you want yourself, your identity to be. That leads to, which I know from your book uh, and what I teach, you know, that enjoyment, detachment from the outcome, the emotional attachment, but the enjoyment of the consistent everyday, persistent without quit pursuit of your potential, mm. your identity. Yeah. And I think there is no more remarkable book, no better subject to study in order to change your life and provide not only happiness to you, but to others. It's just an honor, James, to have you on here. Oh, thank you so much. Thanks for Mr. the opportunity. James Clear, gotta buy it, The Atomic Habits. I don't usually push books, but that and Think and Grow Rich are my two favorite books. Thank you. This is Dave Meltzer with Entrepreneurs, The Playbook.